The following podcast was recorded on Tuesday, March 8th, 2022, featuring Jim Bianco of Bianco Research and Sam Rines of Arbor Data Science. To hear the podcast in real time, you can sign up for a free trial at arborresearch.com or by emailing Gus Handler directly at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. You can also call Arbor Research and Trading at 1-800-606-1872. Thanks for your time and enjoy the podcast. Welcome everyone to the latest edition of Talking Data. I'm your host, Kristen Radish of Arbor Research and Trading. I'm joined today by Jim Bianco of Bianco Research and Sam Rines of Arbor Data Science. Today, Jim and Sam will discuss why the Fed must hike aggressively. Jim, we're gonna get started with you. What is the conventional wisdom? Yeah, so uh, the conventional wisdom was uh, pretty well summed up by a tweet that was put out yesterday by Duncan Weldon an economist in the UK. This is your regularly scheduled reminder that energy price shocks are ultimately deflationary. Yes, obviously they push up inflation in the short term, but they act as an unexpected tax rise on households and firms to reduce their spending. I mean this quite seriously. The case for rate hikes from Western central banks is much weaker with oil at $120 than oil at 80. So let me interpret this. This comes from a viewpoint that inflation is forever dead. And so therefore, anytime prices go up, they're not viewed as causing more inflation. They're viewed as a tax, which is code word for a hit to growth. Instead, I would argue what's been happening is the we are actually having true inflation. Now, let me explain the difference. When you have inflation, you have a loss of purchasing power. Your dollar will buy less in a month or a year or three months or whatever time period you want. Same stuff, you'll get less of it because of inflation. When you're talking about growth, um, you're not talking about a loss of purchasing power. You're talking about whether or not you have more dollars or, or less dollars. And so this is an argument that has been correct. What Duncan wrote here, has been correct for many years, decade plus, if not two decades, I would argue until the January of 21. January of 2021, the inflation rate was 1.4%. It's now 7.5, which is the inflation rate before the, the war started. And it's probably going much higher with the squeeze we've seen in commodity and energy prices um, as well, too. So if you come from this axis that inflation is forever a non-issue, then every rate, every rise in prices like oil is viewed as a tax, which means it's just going to slow real growth, but it's not going to make you lose your purchasing power. Now, I would argue that's changing. We are now in an inflationary environment and we've lost purchasing power. And that is what needs to be addressed is that loss of purchasing power not the potential loss of growth, which means gaining more dollars. Exactly. And, and to your point, Jim, and I think this is this is a really interesting part, is I think that particularly from the call it the UK perspective or the you know the common knowledge perspective, it seems as if they completely skip over that oil at 120, if it doesn't go back to 80, is a permanent loss of purchasing power, right? And that's that's not a temporary thing. Sure, it'll you know go you know roll over in a year, whatever. But it's a it's a significant hit to the bottom line. You add in food, you add in everything that is going on with the supply chain, 
And quite frankly, it just, it doesn't look like a temporary thing anymore whatsoever. Right. Just real quick, um, you know, he's ultimately right. It can be deflationary because if you get high enough prices and you get a big enough loss of purchasing power, you will get demand destruction. You will get uh, people having their standards of living being lowered because of inflation and you will get less economic activity and then you will get lower prices. But what he's arguing is, well, we, we don't even need to raise rates because we're ultimately going to get lower prices. Well, first you're going to have a recession and then you're probably going to have a bear market and risk assets. And then you will get $80 crude oil again uh, at, at that point. So if, if you want to make that argument that, oh, well, we don't need to raise rates because ultimately we're going to have a recession and we're going to have a bear market and risk assets. So let's just keep pumping the, or priming the pump. What you're going to do is you're going to subsidize high prices and they're never going to go down. Um, and that's what we have to be careful of. So, Jim, how many hikes does the market have priced in right now? Yeah, so I'll run through some charts here real quick and we could talk about this. <clears throat> like I said, a lot of people still think like Duncan. So if you go to the next chart, um, this shows you the yield curve in the top, the two-year, 10-year yield curve. In the bottom shows you the uh, green line <coughs> is the 10-year note and the orange line is the two-year note. And the yield curve has been narrowing to the low 20s um, as well. Interestingly about the yield curve, uh, the Fed's next meeting is March 16th, if you jump to the next chart. Um, and what it shows is there's a 96% chance the Fed's going to raise rates a week from Wednesday, March 16th. Um, yeah, okay, they're going to raise rates. The yield curve is never inverted before the Fed has start, started raising rates. There's an outside chance that could actually happen, that we could have the yield curve actually invert before the Fed actually starts raising rates, or at the very least, it's probably going to invert after one rate hike, you know, before the May, before the May 4th meeting, when they would probably go a second rate hike, which the market has, as this shows, 97%. So the market has got six rate hikes priced in uh, for the next year. Now, if you if you spend too much time on FinTwit, financial Twitter, like I do, the narrative that's jumping up and down when the stock market sells off and oil goes up, that's it, that's it. There's going to be no more rate hikes, no more rate hikes, less rate hikes. The Fed's going to do less. The Fed's going to do less. That is almost a universal opinion. Um, even Zoltan Pozar today in his piece is saying the Fed's going to do less rate hikes. Actually, line up the people that think the Fed is going to go more than six. That's probably like two economists, maybe Ethan Harris at Bank of America and maybe JP Morgan. And then you've got, you know, 330 million other people that think that the Fed's going to go less than six rate hikes right now. So I think part of the reason is the first, the first argument, the market is thinking more about inflation being a problem than growth being a problem. But the reason that 98% of economists think that the Fed's going to go less is they don't think inflation is the priority. They think growth is the priority. And one of the interesting points that you're making is the only way that the Fed doesn't actually hike, call it six uh, times this year, is if you're in a recession, right? Is if you actually push the economy into a recession, they'll stop, right? I, I think that's, that's a reasonable argument to make. But other than a recession and, you know, a significant one at that, the, the, Fed, the Fed has no option but to continue going. And if you go back to the yield curve chart, which I think is one of the more interesting things happening in the market right now, 
is what happens if the Fed does four, five hikes this year and you still have inflation running hot, the long end of that curve is not, is not going to continue ticking down. That's going to embed a higher level of inflation expectations across a longer time horizon. And you can see, you can see this yield curve begin to re-steepen at a pretty rapid rate in kind of an accidental way, right? Even with the Fed hiking and, you know, do some things, you know, everybody saying that, you know, it's going to invert, the Fed's going to put us in a recession, we're only going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. If the Fed doesn't get inflation under control with a few hikes and it doesn't show significant signs of coming down and you begin to embed something a little more sinister in the inflation expectations, you know, the long end of that curve is going to continue to move or continue is going to move higher and significantly higher uh, than its current, we'll call it one nine, one nine five, whatever it might be today. I completely agree. I mean, most of the economists, you know, like I said, 98% think the Fed's going to do less. They're not calling for a recession, saying that, you know, that will hit demand, that will take care of the inflation problem, then asset markets will fall a lot, and then therefore the Fed, after three rate hikes, won't need to do any more. They're calling for less rate hikes because there's still this belief that the inflation rate will peak and go away on its own. So yeah, you're right. We could very well wind up with less, but not for the reason that everybody's saying. It's because we're going to have a severe hit to demand. And Sam, I completely agree with you that if the Fed starts raising rates, one of the reasons that the I believe that the 10-year is trending sideways as the two-year goes up and the curve flattens is there's this belief that the Fed is going to raise rates too much. And the phrase we like to use on Wall Street is break something. You know, we have a recession. We have a, a big fall in risk assets or the plumbing of the financial markets gets stressed and cause problems or some version of all of that. So the 10-year has been trading sideways on this idea the Fed's going to do too much. And so therefore, it, it, it is getting a risk off bid. The Fed's going to do too much. Something's going to break. I want to hide in, in 10-year notes. And it shows up by going sideways. But you're right. If they raise rates three or four times, and it looks like they're not catching up and inflation is going up, then we could have a re-steepening of the curve where the 10-year the starts rising again really fast because it has to embed higher interest rates for the higher inflation rate. And that would not be a good scenario either, because what that would suggest then is the Dudley scenario. Dudley, Bill Dudley, the former New York Fed president, has been saying that the Fed needs to probably raise rates to 4% or 5% in order to rein in inflation. And I've been of the opinion that the economy can't handle 4 or 5%. Something will break long before that. But if I'm wrong and the Fed start and the and the curve starts re-steepening after three or four rate hikes. Then we got to start seriously considering, yeah, they might have to go, you know, forget seven rate hikes. They might have to go 20 rate hikes in order to get back to, to you know, 4% or, or something along those lines, which no one has really been thinking about. Yeah. And, and on the tenure, the other interesting part is it's trending sideways and you're getting a pretty significant safe haven bid due to the Russia-Ukraine uh, war. So there's there's a lot pushing, holding down that 10-year yield outside of, you know, call it normal market dynamics. You begin to lift that safe haven bid off of there, and that could, it could get really interesting really quickly. Agreed. Can you tell us about the trade-offs that the Fed is facing? Yeah, so let me, let me run through the final two charts we've got, and we could comment on this. There's an argument to be made. Okay, so, you know, the priority is inflation. The market is pricing in six rate hikes. There's an argument that people say, well, 
The Fed can't print ships. The Fed can't print supply chain. The Fed can't print oil. So these are all, in other words, this is a, a supply chain or a supply side problem. Monetary policy can't affect that. I might add, um, Stephen Roach, the former chief economist of Morgan Stanley, was at the Federal Reserve in the early 70s when he was starting his career under Arthur Burns. And Arthur Burns was making exactly the same argument back in the early 70s. The reason we're having inflation is because of an Arab oil embargo. We can't be raising rates because we can't do anything about an Arab oil embargo. And he went, Arthur Burns went as far as to direct the staff, which Stephen Roach was part of, was to show that inflation was a supply problem by creating what we now know as core, uh, core inflation, take out food and take out energy. It was, that metric was created to justify not raising rates in the 70s, which we now know in hindsight was a disastrous policy because it, it subsidized high prices. And then we got even higher inflation by the late 70s. We had all the inflation problems that we had. It sound eerily familiar to what we're, we're talking about right now. So this chart here that you're looking at shows uh, from the IMF's fiscal monitor, October 21, pandemic-related fiscal spending and foregone revenue. The U.S. is 25% of GDP. Advanced economies, emerging economies, and low-income developing economies, nowhere near this. In other words, we prime the pump with monetary and fiscal stimulus like nobody else did. And if you go to the next chart, this is from the OECD, and it shows that all those squiggly lines on the top are all the different developed market core, core, I'll use core for this measure, core inflation rates. And the black line is the U.S.'s core inflation rate. And the bottom chart shows you where the U.S. is relative to the other countries. It's in the 100th percentile. In other words, the U.S., has the highest inflation rate in the developed world. And that's a rarity. As you can see, the chart goes back about 30 years, 35 years, and we don't usually see the U.S. at number 100, but we do now consistently for the last year. The point is, yes, there is a supply problem. There always is a supply problem with inflation. There was in the 70s with the Arab oil embargo. But a lot of the inflation is also demand-driven. We handed out checks. We printed, the Fed printed trillions of dollars of money. That part, the Fed can do something about with raising rates. Now, what I'm arguing here, let's be clear, is the Fed has a trade-off. They've been way too late with policy. They can either say, look, we can't afford a bear market in stocks and a recession, so we have to hold rates at zero. And, if and then if we're going to subsidize high prices, we're going to get even higher prices. So sorry, we're just going to be in a 10% inflation world or an 8% inflation world. Or the Fed could say, we need to pivot. Our priority is inflation. And we have to raise rates a lot. We'll probably invert the yield curve. We might create a recession um, as well too. But that is less injurious for the economy than letting inflation run. Last week, when Chairman Powell was at the at his semiannual congressional testimony, Senator Shelby of Louisiana asked him, Paul Volcker raised rates and induced a recession to end inflation. Do you think that the Federal Reserve has the ability to do that today? And 
Jay Powell's answer was, I think history will record the answer is yes. He basically said last week, he needs to. He will raise rates aggressively, invert the yield curve, cause a bear market in stocks and a recession to stop inflation from staying at 7 or 8%. Because I think he's arguing, which is what I'm arguing, 8, 7, 8% inflation is worse than a bear market in stocks. Now, most people on Wall Street think it's the opposite because they haven't had to deal with inflation in 40 years and they forgot how bad it was. But I think that we have to start recognizing how injurious inflation is and why it's becoming an, a priority. And, and once inflation begins to spiral and consistently spiral, that, it, it, to your point, that is much worse than, you know, call it a shallow, short recession, right? You know, shallow, short recessions are generally what we have, business cycles, et cetera. Uh, you have a short, shallow recession, instead of having significant embedded inflation in the U.S. economy over time, it, it, much better. You get into you could get into a wage spiral. You begin to really break a lot of things for a very long period of time if you, if you allow inflation to be embedded in any meaningful way. Whereas you don't break anywhere near as much, anywhere near as ruinous with a quick and short recession. So I definitely agree with that. Final thoughts for the day. Uh, I would just argue that. What I've said, what we've argued, you know, that the Fed needs to pivot to inflation. There is a mentality of mean reversion in markets, right? Oh, here's a market that went up a lot, bet it's going to go down. Here's a market that collapsed, bet it's going to recover. You know, all the Wall Street firms are just buying, you know, they're buying Russian equities and Russian debt because it went down a lot and they think it's going to go back up. I get it that mean reversion has been an enormously successful strategy. But if we're pivoting to a priority of inflation, mean reversion isn't going to work. And can I prove it? Oh, maybe in three years when there's enough data that we've, we've gone to a regime shift. But this is a judgment call that we're regime shifting towards a priority of inflation. And so that's what everybody's got to make that judgment. Are we or are we still in the 2008 to 2020 period? Just bet that all the extremes, the high sky high prices of commodities, the low prices of Russian debt, the sell-off in the markets, all of that will reverse and go back to some pre-pandemic level. Now that worked great from 08 to 2020, but if we have pivoted to inflation, it won't work now. That's the question everybody's got to ask themselves. And the, the one thing that I would say, uh, kind of wrap up my thoughts on it, it does look like there is a structural change in the commodity market generally, which is likely to be a filter through to inflation for a while if it isn't handled rather rapidly. You do have structural shifts in where you're seeing metals flow from, where you're seeing oil flow from, where you're seeing foodstuffs flow from. Uh, those structural shifts will have consequences for Fed policy moving forward, particularly if we do see a pivot towards inflation from growth. Well, thank you, Jim and Sam, for your thoughts today. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. As a reminder, Arbor Research and Trading is an institutional research and brokerage firm. Our two most prominent offerings are Bianco Research and Arbor Data Science. For any questions, please contact Gus Handler at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. Have a great day.